Let's open our Bibles now to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and then our text from Acts 5, 29 to 32. I'm going to read the first nine verses of Acts 1, and then flipping to chapter 5 and verse 12. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put at his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their Sight. Now turn, please, to Acts 5. I'm going to start at the 12th verse and read down to verse 33, focusing on 29 to 32. Chapter 5 and verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. The believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside." Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, 
The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Verse 29, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. So far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. God's people have often experienced persecution and opposition. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Whether it be Christians hiding in the catacombs under the city of Rome, or the Huguenots of France in the 1600s, or the Puritans in England, or the Protestants in the Netherlands during the Spanish Inquisition, the words of Jesus have proven to be true again and again. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Today, the church continues to suffer in many places. All over the world, hundreds of thousands of Christians are harassed for their faith, and thousands are being martyred annually. Some of the worst anti-Christian persecution today is based on two political ideologies, communism and militant Islam. These two ideologies have consistently oppressed Christians. Congregation, how can the church stand during such times? What is it that enables Christians to persevere in seasons of unspeakable suffering? Is it not by the power of our ascended and enthroned King, Jesus Christ, who sent forth the Holy Spirit? Is it not by the power of our exalted Savior, the one who has been crowned King of Kings? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He has ascended to the seat of universal authority at the Father's right hand. From this position, Jesus rules as King of heaven and earth. And from the right hand, he sent the Holy Spirit upon his people. It is King Jesus who builds and preserves his church. Through His Spirit, He enables His people to make the good confession even in the face of danger and death. By His power, believers are kept so that no one can snatch them away. From His place at the right hand, He guides, equips, empowers, sustains, and sanctifies His church by His Holy Spirit. 
Brothers and sisters, we see this vividly illustrated in our text for this morning. I want us to focus our thoughts on the words of the apostles in in verse 29 to 32 where Peter boldly declared, Him God has exalted. From these four verses, we see that the spirit of the ascended Jesus gives courage to testify, number one, gives wisdom to testify, number two, and gives compassion to testify, number three. First of all, the spirit of the ascended, exalted Jesus gives courage to testify. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, the church in Jerusalem grew in leaps and bounds. Thousands turned to the Lord and were added to the church. Acts 2 mentions 3,000 who received the word. Acts 4 cites a total of 5,000 men. By the blessing of God, the church continued to multiply. In verse 12 of our scripture reading, we see how the Lord gave the apostles the ability to do miraculous signs and wonders. And verse 13, the people held them in high esteem. People brought the sick out into the streets, hoping that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. Even some from the surrounding cities came to Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. It was truly a wonderful, wonderful time for the church, a time in which the power of God was beautifully displayed. People were converted, sinners were delivered from darkness, and lives were dramatically transformed. There was repentance, sorrow for sin, and many came to believe the truth. The gospel was preached with such power by the Spirit of God, the people responded to it in large numbers, and the gospel began to spread beyond Jerusalem. What a joyful experience for the church. God the Spirit was moving in a mighty way. People were healed both physically and spiritually. It was obvious to all that this was not merely the work of man. And yet, congregation, there were those in Jerusalem who weren't exactly pleased with the growth and prosperity of the church. In fact, there were some who were extremely upset. The religious leaders were distressed and annoyed at what was going on. Look with me, please, to verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation or filled with jealousy and laid their hands on the apostles, arrested them, and put them in the common prison. The high priest and the members of the council felt that something had to be done to stop this heretical movement. If the church continued to grow as it had been doing, soon the high priest and the council would lose their hold on the people. If they could silence the leaders, then hopefully the rest of the church would disband. So they arrested them and put them in a public jail which held the common prisoners. But as you know, no prison is strong enough to restrain someone when God has determined to set them free. There are no walls thick enough, no bars strong enough, no chains great enough to restrain someone when God determines to set them free. 
An angel of the Lord opened the prison during the night and told them to go to the temple and preach the word. In the morning, when the Sanhedrin was assembled, they sent for the apostles to be brought from prison. Much to their surprise, they discovered that the prison was empty and the prisoners were standing in the temple teaching the people. The apostles were openly doing the very thing that the Sanhedrin determined to stop. They were publicly proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. So they went out and arrested them again. They brought them before the Sanhedrin and began to accuse them of disobeying the authorities. Verse 28. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us to make us guilty of this man's blood. You disobeyed your orders, disregarded our instructions. You're filling Jerusalem with your heresy and you're making us look bad. Notice, congregation, that nothing at all was said about their miraculous escape from prison. There were no questions as to how they got away. They seemed to ignore it altogether and went on with their accusations. The Sanhedrin blindly ignored the truth and accused the disciples of disobedience. Troublers of Israel. Troublers of Israel. Now watch Peter's response in verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. What I want you to consider here, brothers and sisters, is the courage of the apostles. Before the crucifixion, no one dared to stand with Jesus. No one had the nerve to identify with him. Peter denied his master three times with cursing and swearing. He was ashamed to say that he was a disciple. But now, now, here is Peter as a spokesman for the twelve, boldly declaring that God must be obeyed rather than men. The transformation in Peter's character is absolutely remarkable. He is strong, unashamed, and willing to suffer for what is right. The Jewish Sanhedrin was made up of about 70 men. They were learned men, respected scholars, powerful and influential. This body was Israel's supreme court. The setting would have been extremely intimidating. After all, these were the men who had condemned Jesus to death. If they managed to have Jesus crucified, then they might try to have the disciples executed as well. Yet here stood Peter. Untrained in legal matters, a simple fisherman, yet extremely courageous in the presence of the distinguished Sanhedrin. He told the assembly that when the commands of earthly rulers conflict with the commands of God, the Christian not only may disobey the civil authority, he must disobey. Congregation, where did Peter get the courage to address the Sanhedrin? Why the radical change from the time of his threefold denial to his public, bold preaching of the gospel? 
Was it not due to the fact that Jesus had ascended to the right hand? And from his exalted place, he sent forth his Holy Spirit to empower the church. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, just prior to his ascension, Jesus said to his disciples, but you shall receive, what? Power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power. Jesus promised that from his place at the right hand, he would send the Holy Spirit to enable the disciples to be his witnesses, to testify unashamedly for him. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. When Peter addressed the Sanhedrin, it was the Spirit of God who was speaking in him. The Spirit who was sent by the living ascended and exalted Jesus. As he stood before the 70 members of the Supreme Court, Peter knew that over them stood a higher authority. The apostles were being accused and judged by an earthly court, but over them there was a higher heavenly court. The judge in the heavenly court was the ascended Jesus. The apostles were made confident by the Holy Spirit that the one who presided over the heavenly court would vindicate them. He who ascended to the right hand was their judge. He was also their mediator, advocate, and intercessor before the throne. The earthly high priest was filled with indignation, but the heavenly high priest, the true high priest, was filled with compassion. The earthly high priest was against them, but the heavenly high priest was for them. The earthly high priest wanted to silence them, but the heavenly high priest gave them words to speak. The high priest of Israel accused them of teaching falsely, but the high priest at the right hand of the Father was pleased by their gospel proclamation. You see, congregation, the apostles were able to stand before the Supreme Court without terror because they knew that their priest king, Jesus Christ, was supporting them and the Spirit was giving them courage. And that can also be your confidence today. The ascended Lord has sent His Holy Spirit to enable the church to be bold in your witness. When you are called to give account for the hope that is within you, it is the Holy Spirit sent by the ascended Lord who gives you the courage to testify. Of ourselves, we so easily shrink back. We would, without doubt, deny the Master as Peter did before the crucifixion. In our own strength, we would undoubtedly retreat when the pressure is put on us. 
We tend to take the easy way, the way of least resistance, like water that flows the easiest course. Even when there's no threat of actual persecution, we tend to be cowards. Am I right? How we need the Spirit of God sent by the ascended Lord. Through Him, we are given the strength, words, and courage to speak. The Scottish reformer John Knox once said, A man with God is always in the majority. A man with God is always in the majority. For nearly two years, Knox was in chains, condemned to work on French war galleys. But the Lord set him free and used him in a mighty way for the reformation of Scotland. He preached with great power, urging people to turn to the plain truth of the gospel. Knox had several interviews with Queen Mary of of Scots who despised the Protestant faith. He stood before her and declared without compromise the truth of Scripture. Where did Knox get the courage to testify before the queen during an age of persecution? Was it not by the Spirit of God sent by the ascended Jesus? When Knox died in 1572, the region of Scotland said at his grave, Here lies one who never feared the face of man. What made him so bold? He possessed the Spirit of God sent by the ascended Lord. On April 17, 1571, Martin Luther stood before the Diet at Worms. He stood before the Emperor, six electors of the Empire, 24 dukes and eight margraves, all representing worldly power. In addition, there were 30 archbishops, bishops and abbots, seven ambassadors, papal nuncios and deputies. In total, there were 206 persons of rank. Before this grand assembly, Luther was asked to retract the doctrines contained in his books. But Luther said, I cannot withdraw. For I am subject to the scriptures. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant. His words created an uproar in the diet. Where did Luther get the courage to address this great company of august men? The apostles, the early church fathers, Knox, Luther, and many others were sustained by the spirit sent by the ascended Lord, isn't that also the source of your strength? You do not stand in your own might or persevere by your own determination. You stand by the the power of the spirit of the exalted Jesus. Our Heidelberg Catechism mentions in Lord's Day 18 that one of the benefits of the ascension is that Jesus sends his spirit to us on earth so that by his power we make the goal of our lives not earthly things but the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand.
Then our text shows us, secondly, that the spirit of the ascended Jesus not only gives courage to testify, but also wisdom to testify. Wisdom. Let's go to verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The apostles began their defense by affirming what? The bodily resurrection of Jesus. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. They testified before the Sanhedrin that Jesus was not in the tomb. His body was not decomposing in the ground. No, Jesus had risen. The grave could not hold him. Now bear in mind that the Sanhedrin had heard the remarkable story of the empty tomb from the Roman soldiers who had been appointed to guard it. The chief priests had asked Pilate for guards to secure the tomb so that no one would steal the body and then claim that Jesus had risen. Pilate granted the request that the guards were posted. But early that Sunday morning, the guards had an unforgettable experience. The ground trembled. They felt a great earthquake and they saw an angel of the Lord who was like lightning in appearance. The guards fell down and became like dead men. Shortly thereafter, when they had recovered their senses somewhat, they reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And instead of investigating their story, they gave the guards a large sum of money to keep their mouth shut. They told the guards to tell everyone that the disciples stole the body while they slept. And so congregation, when Peter stood before the Sanhedrin, and affirmed the bodily resurrection of Jesus, he was touching a raw nerve. He was pricking their conscience. They knew from the Roman guards that something extremely unusual had happened at the tomb, but they suppressed the truth. They refused to accept the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Secondly, The apostles not only affirmed the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus, but they also reminded the Sanhedrin that they were responsible for his crucifixion. They were responsible for his crucifixion. Notice again verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Peter pointedly accused the council of having broken the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. In verse 28, the high priest had said, you intend to bring this man's blood on us. You are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter said, yes, you are guilty. You are guilty of having shed innocent blood. You are responsible for the death of this godly, righteous, blameless man. Furthermore, notice how Peter deliberately made mention of the means of execution. Verse 30 says, you murdered him by 
hanging him on a tree. Now, why did Peter specifically mention the means of execution? Because by hanging him on a tree, the Sanhedrin had declared him to be cursed by God. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When the religious leaders plotted to kill Jesus, they stirred up the crowd to shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! They wanted him crucified so that by this means of execution, they were declaring that Jesus deserved God's curse. By demanding death by crucifixion, the leaders were declaring that Jesus was neither fit for earth nor heaven. He was hung between heaven and earth, rejected and despised by both. Now, congregation, we know that Jesus was cursed by God. He was rejected by both heaven and earth, but it was not for his own sin, as the Sanhedrin maintained. It was for the sin of his people. The Sanhedrin declared him worthy of God's curse, when in fact this was the only perfect, righteous, sinless man who ever lived. And therefore, they were guilty of the most heinous crime imaginable. And then thirdly, the apostles not only affirmed the resurrection of Jesus, and the unjust crucifixion of Jesus, but they also affirmed his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Look with me to verse 31. Verse 31. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. Peter said, the one whom you considered worthy of God's rejection." the one whom you nailed to the cursed tree, the one whom you so intensely despised, him God has exalted. You humiliated him, but God exalted him. You gave him a crown of thorns, but God gave him a crown of universal authority. You treated him like a common criminal, but God has acclaimed him as prince. You considered him the most worthless man on earth, but God promoted him as the highest in heaven. This one whom you rejected has fulfilled the messianic prophecy of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Peter said, your worst enemy is at the right hand. Imagine how that must have sounded to the religious leaders, the religious authorities. The right hand is the position of what, children? It's a position of authority, honor, and power. To be at the right hand of God is to be in the seat of ultimate authority. In other words, Peter declared, the one whom you cruelly murdered now stands above you as king and judge. The one whom you mock stands above you as cosmic ruler. Brothers and sisters, how the Sanhedrin hated these words. 
The high priests and the members of the council were enraged with the apostles. They were so furious that they considered killing them. To say that Jesus was exalted to the right hand was, in their estimation, blasphemy. Blasphemy. They would not accept the disciples' testimony. They refused to bow in reverential submission to the exalted Christ. They stubbornly refused to acknowledge his kingship. They would not lovingly yield to him as prince and savior. Nevertheless, you can clearly see in these verses the spirit-endowed wisdom of the apostles as they presented the truth to their enemies. With just a few words, with just a few words, they presented the gospel, setting before them a summary of the work of Jesus for sinners. How we need the wisdom of the Spirit today to present the gospel to our generation We need to be empowered by the Spirit so that we can wisely and clearly speak of the suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray for that in your own life. And pray for that in the lives of those sitting around you here this morning. May Bethel Church be faithful in pointing sinners to the living, reigning Savior and King. And then, brothers and sisters, we also note that together with courage and wisdom, the Spirit of the Ascended Jesus also gives compassion, doesn't he? Point number three. How do these words display compassion? In verse 31, the apostles told the Sanhedrin that the ascended Christ is prince and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and what? Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Peter told the council that the ascended Lord was not only a condemning judge, but also a compassionate Savior. He had the power to deliver them, to forgive their sin, to grant repentance and complete pardon. In other words, even though the members of the Sanhedrin were certainly guilty of murder, the ascended Lord had both the willingness and power to cleanse them. Even though they were guilty of despicable, heinous crimes, he had the power to renew them, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The Sanhedrin should have received this not as bad news, but as good news. Yes, they had brutally killed the prince of life. But wonder of wonders, forgiveness was possible. Remission of sins could be assured through faith in the ascended Savior. The apostles spoke with compassionate hearts, kind-heartedness given by the Holy Spirit. But tragically, the high priest and members of the council rejected the apostles, their message, and their Savior. They wanted to maintain their own authority and position in Israel. And consequently, verse 33 says they were furious and plotted to kill them. By rejecting the gracious testimony of the apostles, the Jewish Supreme Court was rejecting the one who was enthroned at the right hand, the Prince and Savior. 
They were hardening their heart against the one and only way of salvation. They were resisting the Spirit of God. By rejecting the testimony of the apostles, the Jewish Supreme Court was really rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit. In verse 32, Peter said, We are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostles were eyewitnesses to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But not only were they witnesses, so was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit witnessed of these things through the Old Testament scriptures, and he testified through the disciples that truly Jesus was risen and exalted. Therefore, when the Sanhedrin rejected the testimony of the apostles, they were also rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit. They cut themselves off from the greatest of blessings. They too could have been the recipients of the Holy Spirit and known the joy that the converts of the early church were experiencing. They also could have manifested the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But sadly, they rejected the apostles, resisted the Spirit, and opposed the gospel. They would not worship him whom God had exalted. Dear friends, these were covenant people. They knew the scriptures. They had the promises and prophecies, the gospel of the Old Testament. They had numerous privileges. Isn't it a warning to us? Isn't it a warning to us that outwardly respectable church members can sometimes be way off the mark? We may look good externally walking into church, as they did. We may seem to have a good grasp of theology, as they did. We may have strong opinions concerning what is allowed or not allowed in the liturgy, as they did. We may have all our pet doctrines nailed down, as they did. And yet, while we may have all these things, it is possible that we have never truly yielded our hearts and lives to him whom God has highly exalted to the right hand. We can go through all the motions without ever humbly submitting to the ascended king. So I ask you this morning, do you truly worship him whom God has highly exalted? Do you truly worship him whom God has highly exalted? Do you rejoice in the fact that Jesus rules the universe from the Father's right hand? Are you able to confess that he has graciously given you the gift of repentance and forgiveness of sins? Are you able to affirm that by His grace you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Are you able to joyfully declare that the will, honor, and glory of your Savior are your chief concerns? Are you willing to be scorned by the world because of your allegiance to the reigning Christ? 
Are you willing to be opposed or looked upon as awed because of your submission to the exalted king and because of his indwelling spirit? The apostles were willing to stand for truth. Why? Because by faith they saw Jesus Christ upon his throne. In verse 40, they were flogged for their testimony. And yet they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. As they continued daily in the temple and in every house, teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, they continued to do that. They lifted up the name of Jesus. They continued to testify with compassion by the Spirit's power. The apostles knew from Psalm 110 that a day is coming in which all the enemies of Christ will be made his footstool. All his adversaries will be defeated and destroyed. But those who have received the gifts of repentance and forgiveness, and those who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit will be joyfully received as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The apostles knew that by grace they would stand before their king in righteousness. And they would praise his excellence. They believe that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits the sons of God. Do you also have that confidence by the Spirit? Have you received the gifts of repentance and forgiveness of sins? Do you love him whom God has highly exalted? Are you testifying to others by the Spirit's power? The ascended Lord will be for some a terrible judge. For others, he will be a loving, caring king, mediator, and high priest. The Lord calls each and every one of us, children as well as seniors, to acknowledge the authority of our ascended king. Live for him, honor his rule, testify to the world of his power, glory, and love. As the Holy Spirit gave the apostles courage, wisdom, and compassion to speak as his ambassadors, so he empowers you today to speak in his name and for his glory. The congregation serve your exalted Savior and anticipate the day when this King of glory will return. The suffering of the church will cease and Christ will be honored and praised by his people forever. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Let us pray. Lord, we do pray this morning that each and every one of us here would truly yield to the living, ascended, exalted Savior and King. It's easy for us to look back at those who resisted him and criticized them, and yet, Lord, 
We could do the very same thing today. Even though we may appear outwardly to be righteous and committed, but Lord, we want our hearts to be fully yielded to King Jesus. We pray then that you will also grant us, Lord Jesus, the power of the Spirit to testify today with courage, to testify with wisdom, that you would give us both courage and wisdom, but Lord, together with that, that you would also give us compassion, pointing out that there is a way of escape from the judgment to come. Pray, Lord our God, that you will fill our minds and our hearts with this precious message of the living, glorified Savior. And by the power of the Spirit, live our lives to lift up his name. So receive our praises, Lord, as we conclude this service. And may we encourage one another in our time of fellowship, pointing each other to the one who is on the throne, the one before whom every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Hear us in his name. Amen.